Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So welcome to An Appetite for Life, and my guest today is Beth Abbott from BTD. Tea, which is been there done that so welcome Beth hi thank you so you're the founder of BTDT the poetry workshops so for our listeners can you please expand please expand on on what this is and what services you offer yeah of course so um the as you said the BTDT stands for being there done that um because the workshops that we deliver are based on um life experiences mm. um So we like to um, do it in a creative outlet in the form of poetry, but it can be other creative outlets as well, just covering taboo subjects and sensitive subjects like um, addiction, homelessness, domestic violence um, and mental health. So we go into schools and work with other organisations and we're always looking to do new projects with with videos and, and social media content as well. Yeah, brilliant. So you do cover extremely sensitive issues, but the programme really do, does have a, you know, a positive impact. So what can listeners hope to achieve through these workshops? Yeah, so like I said, it's lived experience. So when you're talking to people, you're coming from um, a level where you've, you've experienced it. So you talk to them through rawness and openness and honesty. So it's not just something that you've read out of a book or facts that you've seen um, from other places. So um, they can just expect us to be able to cover them subjects, help people to be able to write poetry. Because a lot of people go, well, well, I don't know how to rhyme or I can't do this. And it's normally the, you know, the kid that's been labelled the naughtiest in the class or, or, you know, the black sheep. And they always end up coming out with the best work because um, actually they've got a lot to say. It's yeah. just that they get put in a box and, you know, they might not be good at poor subjects, but they're really passionate. And once you change it, the word from poetry to rap, you've got the kids engaged in there. Oh, I'm sure. So do you find that, it, does it take quite a while for the children to kind of jump on board? Do they understand the, some of the subjects that you're that you're teaching them? Yeah, um, uh, they, they do because they show a powerpoint at first as well so we're asking a lot of questions so for example i did a workshop yesterday in the school and we did it about bullying yeah um, so i can engage with them by using celebrities as an example so we talked about caroline flack and yeah. we were talking um about the worst case scenario and obviously what ended up happening there and then all of a sudden everyone's got hashtag be kind but people weren't being kind when they were trolling there and we was also talking about social media as well when I was younger, you know, you could have a fight with somebody in the playground and then it would all be over and done with. But now it gets filmed, it's put on the internet. So we were talking about all them dangers. It's it's a horrible world, I think, for, for young people at the moment. So once you can engage them with things that they know about, like celebrities and social media and stuff, they really engage and start talking and then they start thinking a little bit yeah. more about it. And one of the things I actually said was, you know, Caroline got flat, uh, Caroline Flack got terrorised originally so much because she was in a relationship with Harry Styles because he was a younger lad. But how many men out there are in relationships with younger women? It, 
they don't get any kind of repercussions. And we were talking about celebrity magazines. It would say so-and-so woman, um, age, whatever her age is, and her weight. Why do we need to know that? We don't I need know, to know it. I know. And it's terrible, thinking, isn't it? With the workshops that you're delivering, do you touch on the social media side? Yeah, yeah definitely. We did an example of face-to-face bullying in this workshop that I did yesterday and cyberbullying and the difference. And we were yeah. talking about keyboard warriors, basically. You're anonymous, so you can yeah. hide behind a computer screen. And I was saying, if you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, then what gives you the right to say it over a computer screen? And, you know, a couple of the kids went a little bit sheepish. But we've all done these things and we've all said things to people and not really realised the implications of how it can hurt somebody else's feelings as well. Oh, and cyberbullying so, is definitely far worse, isn't it, than, than I think a fight on the playground. That, Like you say, it could be a quick scuffle and it's over and done with, but it's there, it's out there forever, isn't it? That's what I was explaining to them because I've seen some videos before when a girl was getting bullied and it, and it, it really made me cry because... People are sharing it, saying, oh, this is awful, this is anti-bullying. But they're adding to the problem because they're sharing this for other people to see as well. And then that poor girl's humiliation has been seen thousands and thousands of times. And once it's out there, you can't get it back, even if the original person takes it down. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even if the post, the original post is taken down, you still can't escape it. That's what I mean. It's out there forever, isn't it? Well, that's how you can touch on other subjects with them. Um, I didn't go into it too much with them uh, yesterday because it depends what school you're in and what age. But the same would apply if you know, you're in a relationship with someone and you share personal pictures of yourself. Obviously, it's now illegal, so people can't do it, but young people don't necessarily listen to no, that. And, and, you know, if somebody puts up pictures of you like, like that, I mean, it happened to some of the girls that went on Love Island and it was spread everywhere. And it's just not, it's not fair. So it gets them thinking about yeah. things. So is it secondary schools you're going into, Beth? Yeah, I've gone into secondary schools. I have gone into primary before and I'm aiming to get into, you know, some of the youth centres and um, the organisations as well. But I'll be taking other people that are in recovery into the schools with me. So I'm giving them a chance to, you know, put something positive on on their CV and, and, you know, talk about their experiences as well. So it's not just my story, it's lots of different people lots of different stories well. yeah so can I ask what led you to create the been there done that program btdt um are you happy to share your story with us today Beth yeah that that's um fine so I'd always wanted to um set up a community interest company because uh poetry is something that had always saved me throughout my life um when I was a teenager I was a really naughty um young person going with the wrong crowds went to quite a rough school and I'd had stuff that was going on at home as well um and I started drinking quite heavily when I was a teenager but we didn't really realize it was a problem as such but looking back now by the time I was 19 I'd, I'd been hospitalized like four times um, so when you say you were drinking, as, when you said you were drinking as a teenager was this drinking at home or was this in disguise Oh no, it wasn't at home. It was over the park and yeah. with my with my friends. But what it was is I found that I got a release drink. So I didn't realise obviously at the time that it was escapism. And then as I've got older, um, you know, I've got out my friend, she's taking um drugs and drinking as such. 
And I dabbled in drugs a bit, but I wasn't so bothered about that, to be fair. It had always been drink. And all I'd ever wanted was a, a child. And I thought, when my daughter come along, it was going to fill this kind of void. void in yeah. That I, yeah, that I felt. And, you know, things didn't work out with her dad. Um, not long after my um, daughter was born, my, my nan died. Who I, I had, she was more, more like a mother kind of role in, in my life at the time. And, um, you know, people think that having a baby sometimes fixes everything, but all of a sudden... It's you the opposite sometimes, isn't it? You're responsible for a child. You have that rough day with them all day. You think, oh, I'm tired. Just a bottle of wine. Yeah. I never drank at all when I was pregnant. It didn't even enter my, enter my head. But then it progressed and it just got worse and worse. So I was running, I was working as a home support worker. So I was a functioning alcoholic for quite a while. And then the last couple of years of my addiction, I just wasn't functioning anymore. Everything just fell apart. My relationship with everyone. Um, I, I, I wanted to die, if I'm honest. And the only reason why I do that to myself was because of my um, daughter. My daughter, yeah. I, I just couldn't do that to her. But um, it, things got really, really dark. But then... I'd been going to the doctors for about five years asking for help and they didn't even know about a rehab centre that was down the road or they just put me on vitamin B and, and thiamine and, and sent me on my way through tablets at me really. But then I did get into a rehabilitation programme. Um, I didn't go into it wholeheartedly at the beginning and I relapsed unfortunately and then social services definitely got involved. But it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me because fear of losing my daughter and the consequences that came with that actually just shook me to my core and something clicked in me and then I I was open to listening to everything that everyone had to say and now I'm I'm a year and a half sober and I wanted to give a little bit back really and that's brilliant a year and a half sober that's fantastic so congratulations to you for that and also just going back to when you said you wanted to escape that was your escapism what was it you felt you were escaping from when you first started drinking? I, I'm not going to go into too much detail now because obviously it's not my stories to tell as such, but my parents had quite a messy divorce at the time. Yeah. Um, so there was there was stuff at, at, at home. Um, and but teenage life's difficult yeah. anyway, isn't it? Yeah. When you're transitioning and you're, you know, you're becoming a young woman and there's, you've got your siblings and peer pressure. It's a difficult time anyway. So for somebody to have trouble at home as well, it must have been all exaggerated. I know you're not alone when you say you, you turn to drink with your friends over the park. It's not a unique story, is it? And the thing is as well, I suppose then men come into play when you're a, a teenage girl. Of course, dating and... And then you almost... You don't you don't realise it at the time. I only realise it... now. you're almost using, like, your sexuality as, like, currency to get people to like you when you think having a boyfriend will make things change. And you go about it the wrong way. You're drinking, so it makes you a bit more promiscuous than what you would normally be. And yeah. then you're getting used by men as well. And then you're thinking, well, what's wrong with me? Um, you know, no one wants me to be their girlfriend. Or, And then you're just beating yourself up about a million different things. And it become, um, it become, it become a lot. And when you have that negative mental state, it attracts negativity, doesn't it? Always. Yeah. You just need that turning point, that bit of positivity to, to lean on, don't you? 
and people see vulnerability in someone and I'm not slating all men I've got four brothers I'm the only girl but when you're younger you know that you're going to go for the most smashed out the face girl at the party because it's an easy deal almost you know what I mean and yeah unfortunately you don't realize you're putting yourself into that situation at the time so when I'm talking to the young people you know I want them to be aware to value themselves and 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 not just do that to themselves because it might not only does the drinking make you feel rubbish you know waking up and feeling like you've been used or or like not valuing yourself it's like along the way you're taking little chunks out of yourself until yeah. eventually chipping away just, like now i'm in recovery i'm but each like positive thing that i'm doing it's like i'm recovering myself and just putting little bits of love back in which sounds really cheesy i know but well it doesn't it because it's like when, when we say that negativity attracts negativity positivity attracts positivity and that's where you are so it'll only continue to get even better um because you're you're on your way and you're doing absolutely brilliant in what you're offering young children as well and give them giving them your experience and they can learn from that so you also became homeless beth can you tell us about that yeah, once again, like I said, I won't go into it too much because it, it, it like it's my parents' kind of situation. But a lot of it was with me. My friends were the be all and end all, and that's all that mattered. And um, I was causing a lot of trouble. I was angry around in big groups, causing havoc all the time. To be fair, um, I was in all the top sets in school. When I went into school, I was I was really clever, and I just got moved down. I'd wag it in the school toilets. Like, what's the point? I'm sitting in a toilet smoking. I've just been lesson learning but you're just showing off and yeah you've been the class clown and me and my friends we got stoned every day before we went in school the thought of smoking a spliff now and doing anything I wouldn't be able to move let alone no. function and go to go to school it's madness and but what's amazing though is Beth that there'll be people that maybe are in your situation now and they might never admit that they were wrong and they would continue in that awful circle where you now can talk about it and put your hands up and say, I was wrong doing that. It was the wrong path to go down. Isn't that a positive for other people? Yeah. And you know what? One of the biggest things I've learned in recovery, because I still go to recovery groups twice a week and I will continue to do that. I don't like. Um, and one of the th- biggest things I've learned is holding on to resentments and bitterness and passing blame is what keeps you more poorly than funneling Definitely, you've just got to let go, haven't you? I know it's easier said than done. Um, but what question I did want to ask you is, is this talking about homelessness, what are the reasons people might become homeless that maybe you've met along the way and the youngest age that you've seen maybe that's obviously without somewhere to go? Addiction is the biggest thing, I'll definitely say. And yeah. domestic violence, family breakdowns, that there can be so many different things. And the thing is, is when I work, used to work in um, like the centres where people used to come in and I'd, I'd get them housed in different places, sometimes it's a revolving door and you see the same person, people that have been going through the system for 10 years and you can see what the problem is, clear as day. And there's no point in keep housing them in different places. You need to do, deal with the core issues, which might be addiction or, you know, mental health and everyone seems to pass the book sometimes or you know not necessarily not everyone because you know you get some really good organizations out there as well but I'd say addiction is one of the biggest things and I watched a program once and it said 
if there was going to create the worst disease on the planet that could take out the world, like a Dr. Evil style, they'd create addiction because for other people on the outside looking in, you're thinking, well, you're choosing to put that vodka down your neck. You're choosing to take that tablet. It's not an illness. Um, you know, it's a life choice. And I can understand completely not only why people think that. Um, but they won't because- understand the addiction, will they? They won't understand that. There were, I've done lots of different courses on it and stuff and the only way I can explain it because I have wrote poetry about it it's like and this is why I'd be too scared to even have one drink ever again it's like it'd be like waking up a beast almost dormant sleeping beast in your head there's an overwhelming urge and cravings that come over you that that uh, there's another saying in um one is far too many and a thousand never enough and I always connected with that because you want more and more and more and more it's like you could just be like a balloon that had air going into it continuously until you'd explode almost yeah yeah Yeah. and that's what you do to yourself because it's never it's never enough but it doesn't start out like that because if it started out like that you'd never continue with it everyone that comes into um and i i i meetings it was all fun and games at the beginning and it, it's a progressive disease that gets worse and yeah. worse and more and more is needed. So that's so what how. I, what I find fascinating when, is when you brushed over being a functioning alcoholic, because I think that being an alcoholic can be misconceived sometimes because it's probably people that we pass all the time and we don't realise that secretly they are an alcoholic. I mean, it's amazing that they can hold down these professional roles and disguise their addiction so tell us how you managed to function and where you were secretly drinking when you were working and do you know what's quite funny about what you said because we call it functioning alcoholic but I was never functioning my ability I was never giving things 100% but I was still maybe giving more than what other people that were showing up as such because I have more of a point to prove so because I was trying to hide it more, I'd work twice as hard when I was at work sometimes so that nobody would ever suspect um, that I had an addiction. And I was really passionate about helping young people as, as well because it meant something to me. And you know what as well? If you're in active addiction, you'll find most people in active addiction spend half their time helping everyone else because they don't have to look at themselves. Look at themselves, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's with a lot of... Um, with mental illnesses as well, though, some people will disguise it by homing in on others to disguise their own own issues. I've, I've, you know, it's, it's quite a well-known fact, isn't it? Yeah, and I relate it to, like, bottle watching, clock watching. Um, you're at work and you're just looking at the clock till it can hit five o'clock, so you can just go home and sink yourself into a bottle again. And, you know, it's... And then get up and do it all over again. And when I think about it, it makes me feel physically exhausted that I used to do it. How I did it. And what what were you drinking, Beth, every evening? And how much were you consuming? So it could be a litre of vodka. Um, um, Like, say, like some of the supermarkets, they'll do like two litres and things. pounds or... or, uh, like I could never look at a bottle of Glen's vodka again because that was the cheap vodka that I used to used to drink. And I was in the shop before and I seen a guy at like early morning going to get a quarter. And it just took me back because at the very end of my addiction, 
I'd drop my daughter off at school and then go to the corner shop at nine o'clock in the morning and get a quart bottle of vodka just to make me feel normal. It never got me drunk or anything like that. It just took the shape. Your body and, was so immune to it. Yeah. But it you just, just it, still needed that yeah. fix. And then you're just waiting for the school day to end so you can, you know, see yeah, yourself so, in. It's, yeah. it's horrible. It, it makes me feel so disgusted in myself that I couldn't have been, you know, a better parent. To, but, you know, I'm fixing that now. So when you when you deliver these poetry workshops and you talk about these sensitive subjects, do you also cover the damage that they're doing to their bodies physically, not just mentally and how it's going to affect their whole world? But, you know, it's a secret killer, isn't it? The liver, yeah. everything, the kidneys, the heart. Well, um, someone I know has been in hospital for a week with the liver. And the function is supposed to be 30, something, and it was like 3,000. Um, wow. And what annoys me, only now I'm on the outside looking in, I would never have thought it if I was still drinking. No. And most people who haven't got a problem just drinking, they don't look into this. What annoys me is alcohol is the most, probably worst thing out there for people to have, but yet it's legal. And they know there's no warnings and people aren't made aware, which I think is awful, that it's actually illegal to be um, drunk when you're the sole person in charge of your child and you yeah. can be arrested for it. That should be a known fact. It should be on posters. People should be made aware of this. Well, especially um, when you think of cigarettes, tobacco and how they changed their packaging and showed those. I mean, they're awful images, but they you know legally have to show them this is what can happen to you it causes cancer it causes all sorts of different complications so yeah there's I quite see your point there that why don't people that are producing alcohol wine vodka anything have some sort of logo on there some sort of label that is saying you know it can damage your health take in moderation like the tobacco industry did with their labels yeah and it also as well if you've drank for quite a while it almost like deletes your brain cells. Like I couldn't retain any information. You know, if somebody told me, oh, remember this, uh, remember a pin code or something, I couldn't remember four digits. I would not have been able to do it. Now I can. Yeah. And it took this amount of time to be able to do it. So it even just affects like that. And it's a danger that you put yourself into. Like we talked about promiscuousness, um, you know, leaving yourself vulnerable, walking out in front of the road. They're just like side effects. Um, and I'm You're not fully no aware way. of your surroundings in that state, are you? I look at some of the situations I've got myself into. But do you know what? By no means, and I just want to say this as well, I'm not an anti-drink person because I get that people need to drink to unwind sometimes at the end yeah. of the week. Because I had an issue with it. I'm not like, oh, no one should Not drink. everyone that can, no. My, yeah. Yeah. That was my problem, and I'll take ownership for it. And it's different for people who've got an addiction to people that, you know, like a couple of glasses of wine. That's a completely different yeah, organ. Exactly. So I just want to say I'm not an anti-drink kind of person now. Yeah. So let's talk about St. Basil's, because that's that was a turning point for you, isn't it? What is St. Basil's, and how did they help? Yeah, so I lived in their hostels when I was younger. And actually, I always wrote poetry when I was in their hostels and I had a support worker who was like, you need to do something with that. Um, and she really believed in, in me, which made me, you know, believe in yourself. Want to go on and, yeah, yeah, believe in myself. And then as I got older, want to take on that role because of what she did for me. But 
I got to perform at the Birmingham Repertory Theatre, other studios. I got to do some really, really cool stuff with them. Brilliant. Things that, yeah, that they had at the time. And I, I, I always, you know, have a big part for them in, in, in my heart, obviously, because of that. And then I went on to work for them as a support worker. So when I was, like, working in the hostel where I used to live and the kids would go, well, not kids, young people would go, uh, you know, you don't know what it feels like. I'd be like, well, yeah, I live in your situation. And when I'm telling you to do stuff, I'm just... Yeah, you've been there, done that, which is, that's why I love that title. It's brilliant. Uh, But I love that we used to cook food with them, give them life skills, because this is another thing that they don't really teach in school, is they don't give young people life skills, how to put a washing machine on even. And I know they can be taught it at home, but not everybody has got secure parents or, you know, you might be in care. So life skills like cooking a a meal. Essential, yeah, it's essential now. It's like they step people up to fail. Like a lot of kids in foster care as well. They'll get to 18, they're given two grand, um, time to get their own flat and just expect to go and do it. And this is why these kids that have been in the care system, yeah, end up in prison or with addictions because it's like, all right, now you've hit your cell by date. Um, I was having to look after you. Now, um, you know, go out to the big wide world. And it shouldn't be that way. They should be nurtured and treated like, you know, human beings because they've got so much potential. and, And people who have been through stuff can help people all the more because they've got empathy and they are so much more passionate about it so yeah exactly so there's a picture of you and Russell Brand on your website can tell us more about Russell Brand because he's in recovery isn't he yeah he's been in recovery for for quite a while I've watched a documentary with him and he was trying to help Amy Amy Winehouse as as well but um yeah that was a terrible tragedy I don't obviously know him personally. I've got the picture up there because I thought I'd beg it a little bit. <laughs> Good photo. Um, yeah, but well, actually, there was two other people in the original photo. I cropped them out. them out. <laughs> yeah, but bye. Well, you can't tell. It's a great photo. Uh, but yeah, here comes the opening of Changes UK um, that's in Birmingham in Digbeth. And they're actually the people that I went through rehab with. At the time when I met him, I wasn't. In recovery, I was actually still in active addiction, but I, I wasn't aware of it. But anyway, he come and did a speech, and, he, and I actually never used to like him. Um, no. Do, and, and I think he can come across a, a certain way, but once he read that speech, I had so much admiration. He took his time out of, you know, he's, I'm sure he's a very busy man, to come yeah. and open up his rehabilitation centre to try and help other people. And I thought it, I thought it was really good yeah. and uh, humbling. So what I would like to discuss is things that we briefly mentioned uh, when we met some weeks ago is all the difficulties that you're faced with during recovery, because obviously you're in a vulnerable state, but you're mentioning, mentioning things like dating and predators that are out there, which was a real eye opener for me. Yeah, um, I mean, you have like an NIA meetings, which are wonderful and they have so many people. 99% of the people that go to it have the best intentions. They're trying to do the 12-step programs. But sometimes when people are at the beginning of recovery, you can have other very poorly people that, you know, are looking for a vulnerable person almost even. And um, So they're not you know, there to yeah. seek help. They're predators there to, to, to date someone vulnerable and take advantage of. Yeah, almost. Terrible. Uh, 
to that extent. And you're actually told when you go into recovery, and I didn't listen to this, and this is one of the things that took me out of the door at the time. You're not you're told when you're in recovery, obviously not if you've been in a long-term relationship anyway, but if you're single and you're in recovery, they tell you not to even consider dating for a year to get to know yourself again. Because actually, you know, if you started drinking at 50, um, that's almost when your maturity level um, stops. When you start the drinking, it's almost the age that you're at. And that really resonates with me because actually 15 is the age that sticks with me because that's when my drinking really took hold. I suppose even when I was 30, I was still going around and acting like a 15-year-old girl because my mind yeah. was still at that kind of um, stage. So when they say to spend that year to get to know yourself, like if you're finding out what you like and what you what you don't like because you spent so much time intoxicated you're either intoxicated or hungover you never actually ever sober you never no like you say you're not functioning you're unfunctioning aren't you um because I spoke to somebody in a similar position who has become celibate and she said that really helped with her recovery I can understand because uh, emotions and everything are the things that can take you out and if you get into a bad relationship because I would pick some bad relationships and like we said like like attracts like and when I was in a bad state I would attract other people that wanted to drink as well and you're not actually in a relationship you've basically just got a session partner so if they're drinking a litre you're drinking a litre it's not rocket science to know that you're probably going to end up with a ding dong at the end yeah. of the night yeah and yeah. you know that's how it goes but yeah there's lots of there's lots of things that you have to and we talked about okay so now I've been sober like a year and a half if I want to start dating again do I need to let them know that I'm in recovery because I'm going to have to open myself up and they're going to know that I've had an addiction before when they ask if we want to go out for a drink or do I say or just don't drink and then they might think I'm being stuck up or boring or you know and you don't want to love someone isn't it yeah because normally you'd have that drink to unwind when you met somebody new kind of thing on the first date say so do you find maybe that for people in your situation and that maybe dating someone in your situation or is that an even bigger problem in case they oh, fall off the that. wagon yeah i tried that as well Didn't uh, done that, you see yeah, yeah, done yeah. That. i just love yeah. that i've tried that as well and uh, uh do you know what it can work for some people some people that i can see that are in really beautiful relationships that have both met each other in recovery but i think you know you've got the risk that you could both take each other down or like in my experience I I was seeing someone for a bit and I felt like they were secretly drinking and not letting me know I knew that I knew that there was well that's just unhealthy for you isn't it of course so Beth where are you now how's life and how are you getting on with your recovery do you know what it's really beautiful and it sounds so cliche and I never thought I could go night without drinking like I, I just couldn't imagine of doing it and time just goes I said I told you about my Tom Hardy calendar Harry yes Harry oh, yes just share that with our listeners again about Tom Hardy I love that uh, yeah yeah so my dad got me a Tom Hardy calendar when I first went into recovery just because you know he's gorgeous yeah um, and I started <laughs> and also he's in recovery too which you know helps to you know, feel that little bit of relatability to him. Um, but I started marking the days off green when in, I went into recovery and they started building up. And then, like, I just didn't want to mark my 
sorry Tom I've slipped up so uh yeah and then all of a sudden a year went by and there was green days every day and then I marked the green days off and I was saying to you the visual aspect it seems so simple but just going up to a calendar and marking a day green because once say for example <clears throat> they say to take it day by day but if you've got a calendar and you've got 31 days on there and you've got 29 days green you're not going to want to go and mark no, a big it's red a brilliant one. way oh and there's lots of vision board um now that people are working towards so it's the same kind of thing in a way isn't it you've got that visual there and you're working towards that goal so it's the same kind of you know concept isn't it so Beth it's been lovely talking to you today um I love talking to you and hearing all about your recovery and I'm, you should be really proud of what you've achieved so far so for our listeners anybody that's been there done that or anybody that's obviously really struggling and needs help or want to take part in the poetry workshops how can they get in contact with you uh, I've got a website which is www.btdtpoetryworkshops.com um, I've got my Facebook but that's just Beth but I need to do my social media pages but I'm a dinosaur to be honest <laughs> aren't we so all yeah. I've got to get all, all that sorted or um, I have a mobile number as well 07834769649 so just feel free to reach out um, I said I'm one of my personal even if it's just hi you know you don't need to tell me your story or, or, or whatever it might be but you know we can we can get talking because since I've opened myself up and put myself vulnerable on Facebook and exposed myself as such which I did as a preventative measure actually so that people if people ever seen me out drinking they'd be like and you're supposed yeah, to be in no, recovery don't do it. yeah yeah so but since I've done that a lot of people have messaged me and stuff and asked where to go for help so you know it, it it's rewarding wonderful well I wish you all the best and I look forward to hearing more about these poetry workshops and of course you've got your book coming out as well on the poetry workshops so I look forward to hearing more in the future thank you thank you for having me on the show today I really appreciate it really enjoyed it You've been listening to An Appetite for Life, sponsored by Daybank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. If you are interested in any of my packages or wish to be a guest on this show, then you can contact me via my social media pages, Karen Kelly Podcasts, or send an email to Kelly at btinternet.com. <laughs>